Amen. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I still remember uh, when I was interviewing with conferences, I had a specific conference ask me after the, the conferences, it, the, it was really you got to ask one question when you were interviewing to be placed in a local conference within the Adventist church to figure out where you might be, uh, you know, re- being sent to, where your post was going to be. And so I remember speaking with one conference and we had, we had shared and I shared, you know, how I'd become a Christian and... and I'll never forget that the ministerial director said, it's very evident that you're passionate or that you're on fire for Jesus, that you love Jesus. And then the next question was, what do you do to make sure that that fire will not burn out? And I thought that was a rather interesting question to ask someone, but as I've been in ministry longer, I've realized that there is this experience of burnout, that you, you'll see these, these individuals, they catch fire for the Lord. They, they realize that Jesus is as good as he says he is. And they, they all of a sudden they start to tell their friends and their coworkers, and they become that one person that is, is just overwhelmingly talking about Jesus. And then as it continues on, that fire starts to fade. And we see this too many times. And so I remember sharing with the ministerial director that the reason why... I can wake up every day just absolutely amped. Michelle Fontaine gives me a hard time because she says my favorite word in the English language is pumped. But the reason why I can wake up and just say that I am fully, I'm changing it, Michelle, because I know you're watching. Um, the, way I, the reason why I can say that I'm fully amped is because I do something every day consistently. I don't let it, I do, I do not let the day go on until I have done this. And it is found in This journal, it's the easy layout of I go through the Bible and I ask, what is this saying to my head? What is this saying to my heart? And what is this saying to my hand? And that influences, I will not speak on an issue unless I have done head, heart, hand on that passage. I will never get up and start to to speak on behalf of what I feel God has laid on my heart unless I have gone through that with that passage. I've been doing that since the minute Pastor David Hartman came and spoke at Southern. And I've done that every single day. Every day. I've done that through the book of Leviticus. I've done that. We're doing it together through the book of Numbers. I've done that through Revelation. It does not matter what book it is. I have applied the same method. And so I have been able to wake up every day fully amped on the goodness of Jesus. Now, I also struggle with high energy. I have been one who's notorious for, for helping people uh, enter retirement a little bit before they planned on it uh, because of my energy. And so we're going to take a minute, we're going to pause, and we're going to pray because I want to make sure that it's not my energy but the word of the Lord that speaks to your heart. So let us pray. Father, Lord, we have gathered in your house to worship you. We have not come to hear a good sermon Though we are praying that, that you would speak profoundly now, Lord, we did not come to hear great music, though Moses Elijah played wonderfully and Karen played wonderfully. Lord, we did not come to hear a children's story, though Danny did an amazing job. We did not come to, to hear the story of how this church, we stand right now on your word, as Elder Bob shared. Lord, we did not come to be welcomed the way that Nelson welcomed us with such warmth and love. But, but Lord, we have come to meet you and meet you alone. That's why we are here. And every aspect of our service is really to help us get our hearts ready to meet you. 
And so, Lord, I'm praying that in this moment, on this day, we would leave here with our hearts ablaze because of your goodness. And may it come from a, a book in the Bible that some people think is archaic. For we're praying this in the, in the wonderful, most holy name of Jesus Christ. Let everyone say, Amen. Now, I, I remember when I shared with Carissa that we were going to go through the book of Numbers. And her, her, you know, Carissa gives me the benefit of the doubt. She, she just, she's, I mean, she, she'll tell it to me straight if, if she thinks that I'm messing up. She will, she'll hold nothing back. I, this, that's one of the things that was so attractive about her, that she would just tell me. But the book of Numbers is kind of interesting, and we've kind of been slogging our way through. I think that's the most fitting word. We're slogging our way through. Because the first ten chapters are really just these things kind of repeated over and over and over again. And in fact, some of you might say that, you, that if, we, if we went through the SparkNotes version, you could really abbreviate, you could condense a lot of it into like maybe a, a phrase or maybe a sentence, right? But that's not how the Bible is because God tells stories better than we do. And so God, when he seeks to tell his story, he does it with this intentional, uh, m uh, this intentional way of, of, of showing the details. Name by name, the census was to be taken. The book of Numbers really should not be titled Numbers. It should be the Lord spoke. And so the Lord speaks by saying every person is valuable. That's what we learned the first time. And the last time, that community is of utmost importance. Don't let a disease come into the community because it will kill the community. Don't let broken relationships come into the community because it will kill the community. And the reason that it's, it's this way in the first ten chapters of Numbers is because God is, is with his people, with his redeemed Israelites out of slavery, and they're at Mount Sinai, and they've been there for some time, and God is preparing them. And so we ended the last Sabbath with the question, is there someone that you need to reconcile with? Because we've seen that the, the disease of a broken relationship really puts the whole community at jeopardy. It, it, me it messes with the tension. And we know this because if our, if our friend group starts to have a, an issue with one another, a friend with another friend, we walk into the room and you can feel the tension. The dynamic has just been changed. And God wants his people to be prepared to enter into his promises. When I was a kid... I wanted to be an astronaut. That was, that was what I wanted to do. I, wanted, I, I thought it was so cool that people went to space. And I said, man, I explore my cul-de-sac. I climb up trees. I try to go catch animals. I mean, I had a friend in high school. His name was, uh, his name was Jordan, but he was from California, so we called him Cali. And I mean, it didn't matter if it was a water moccasin. He was trying to catch it because he was just fascinated he, we, were, we were adventurous. We wanted to go off on these adventures. And so as a very little kid, I thought the greatest adventure that anyone could ever go on would be to leave the earth and to go to space. I mean, could you imagine what the view would be like to just, you, you've left the earth's atmosphere and there is everyone that you know and they're alive on that floating round sphere in the, in the universe. Everyone that you know, everyone that has ever lived is there, right? I mean, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. Just, just, oh, it's insane. Well, when NASA 
during, during the very beginning of their, their kind of growth, they went and recruited seven individuals that would become the Mercury Seven. And these individuals, NASA was, was a very small company. In fact, the U.S. military thought they were wasting money by sending money to NASA. Now we know NASA. We, we know what NASA is. And yet the U.S., for a, for a very small window of time, the U.S. thought, we're, we're wasting money by sending it to NASA. But they came up and they recruited test pilots. And they recruited seven of them. But there was this lengthy process and it was very particular. In fact, one of the Mercury 7 astronauts said that he had never been through such a process. I mean, they, you couldn't be taller than 5 foot 11. You had to be in peak physical condition. They tested your psychological well-being. They wanted to know your family background. And these were test pilots. They were wondering, what has this got to do with flying an airplane? What has this got to do with pushing the boundaries to get into space? Why do you need to know if, I'm, if, if my family dynamic is good at home? Why do you need to make sure that my you know, third grade teacher speaks well of me? Why, why do you need to know all of this information when it comes to me getting to space? Well, that's because nobody had ever been to space. We didn't know what to expect, so how do you prepare for something that you've never been to? And here is Israel, and they're on the horizon of going into the Promised Land. They're at Mount Sinai, God has been with them, and he's telling them all these things that we sometimes look at and we say, well, this is kind of monotonous and kind of dull. And kind of, but it, with God, he's preparing his people to enter into something that they had never seen before. Isn't it good news that he was not leaving that preparation up to them, but that he was telling them outright, this is what it is. That is why when we get to Numbers chapter 9, there is so much power. Now, we, we recently purchased some pew Bibles, and so there's a pew Bible underneath the seat in front of you, and if you want to read along, it is from the New American Standard Bible. That is the, the translation that I'll be preaching from, and that is going to be page 149 in the pew Bible. Page 149, Numbers chapter 9. Because in Numbers chapter 9, we actually get to see that the first nine chapters of Numbers aren't written in chronological order. But we only know that from a very small detail. Numbers, chapter 9, verse 1 through 14. This is what the word of the Lord says. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying... Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. So Moses told the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the sons of Israel did. But there were some men who were unclean because of a, a family member or a tribesman that had passed away, so they could not observe the Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. Those men said to him, Though we are unclean because of this, uh, this individual who has passed, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses therefore said to them, 
Wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. Now, we have to pause for a second because, I mean, this is Moses. This is the individual who God chose to reveal himself to. I mean, it says that God spoke with Moses face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. I mean, this is Moses who knows God on, a, on such a personal level. And here is Moses saying, ah, that is a good question. I do not know that answer. Let me go and ask God. Now, what does Moses do in between the time of waiting on God? We don't actually have a verse because in verse 9 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. And so we know that nothing happened. Moses did not lead until God told him what to do. Sometimes we, we get presumptuous. Sometimes we think, oh, this is what God is telling me. And we start to go off in that direction. And then we realize, oh, oh that's not, mm, 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 this is not the way we need to be going. And we got to turn around. Because we started off without letting God lead. Moses, he didn't know what to do. He said, that's a good question. He went and he prayed about it. And the Lord spoke to him, verse 9, verse 10. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your generation becomes unclean because of an individual who has passed away, or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover to the Lord in the second month. On the fourteenth day, at twilight, they shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall observe it. But the man who is clean and not on a journey, and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall then be cut off from his people, for he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin." If an alien or a foreigner sojourns among you and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statute and, uh, of the Passover and according to its ordinance, he shall do and shall have one statute both for the alien or for the foreigner and for the native of the land. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is really fascinating because this is, I mean, the Passover. This is what the whole passage is about, is the Passover. And actually, the timeline in, in Numbers 9, verse 1 is the day before God speaks to Moses and says, go and take a census. So they were told to, to celebrate the Passover before the census. But then, somewhere along the line, individuals, someone has passed away and has now become unclean. And so these individuals, these men or this, these families, come up to Moses and say, what are we to do? Because we want to participate. And so, obviously, because of their, their desire to participate, we get to see this thing about the Passover showing its supreme importance. Because they had an out. They could have said, oh, man, we can't celebrate it. Oh, you know, I had a, I had a long work week, so I'm not going to go to church. Uh, you know, things came up, and, you know, et cetera. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go and, and spend time with my family members of faith. They had an out. They had a very good out. They become unclean. In fact, in Leviticus, it says this, But the person who eats the flesh or eats the meat of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which belongs to the Lord in his uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from his people. So it's a very harsh mandate. Like, they are unclean. They have the perfect out to not participate in this worship, uh, worship event, this, this commemoration of God bringing them up out of slavery. They have the perfect out. 
And yet here are the individuals, and they're saying, no, 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 we, we want to celebrate. We want to participate. We want to, 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 uh, to, to celebrate the Passover because of what God has done in his goodness. How can we participate when we've become unclean? And sometimes we breeze through the significance of the Passover. Because this is right before they're going to set out. Right before God is going to tell them, okay, we, we've, we've talked about how to leave Mount Sinai, how to go in and enter the promised land. We've talked about all that. So now it's the Passover, and then they're leaving. And then we're going to run into this story about spies. And then we're going to run into this story about rebellion. And then we're going to run into the story of, of how Israel basically just forgot everything that God had said and what God had done. But this is still in him preparing them to enter the new frontier. And right before they're to leave, it's the Passover, this issue of the Passover. I don't think that it's by chance that Numbers 9 is, is about the Passover. I don't think it's by chance. See, the Passover was this, was this memorial of God delivering Israel when Israel w- could not deliver themselves. It was this memorial of God stepping into the Israelite situation and saying, I will be the one that brings you up into deliverance and gives you freedom. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. I will do it for you. And so this was the Passover. God tells them to take an unblemished lamb, a year old. At twilight, they were to kill it and put the blood on their doorpost. They were to take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, put it over the doorposts. And then when God was going to come through Egypt, he was going to pass over the homes. That's where we get the word Passover from. He was going to pass over the homes where the blood is on the doorposts. And then they were to eat that lamb the same night, roasted with fire, but they weren't to eat some of it. They weren't to just eat, you know, a portion of it and then hold on to it for for another time. No, they were to eat all of it with this unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And this was all to point eventually to the sacrifice of Christ because Paul, recounting this, says, for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. So think about the, the beauty of that, right? We've been in bondage. We've, the, the Bible talks about sl- uh, sin as, as a slave taskmaster over us. And so we need to be delivered. And so how do you be delivered when God says, if you kill a lamb and you place the blood on the doorposts, I will pass over your house and I'll bring you up out of slavery. They were to be dressed, ready to go. They weren't, they weren't thinking, okay, well, maybe this is going to happen. I mean, it was an act of faith to put the blood on the doorposts. I mean, it points to what Christ did for us when he came as our sacrificial lamb, as our Passover. And so the blood, when we lay hold of his blood, we don't have to worry about condemnation. We don't have to worry about judgment. We don't have to worry about, about anything that the world wants to throw at us. Why? Because we have accepted the Passover lamb. We're covered by the blood on, our, on the doorposts of our heart. But this Passover meal, especially in Numbers 9, it teaches us three things about how to have a relationship with Jesus. Because that's really the whole essence of the Passover, is how to have a relationship with Jesus. It shows us how to receive Jesus personally. It shows us how to receive Jesus in his completeness or holy. And then it shows us how to receive Jesus corporately through the church. So how do we receive Jesus personally? Now, it's weird because we live in 2020. I do not own a lamb. Anyone here have a lamb? I figured. I don't have a lamb. So this is a very foreign, ancient thing for me. 
that I would have to kill a lamb and then take the blood. And then, I've, I mean, I worked as a, as a butcher for, for 10 months. Not once was I ever asked to take blood and put it over doorposts. I mean, this is a very, it's, it's almost archaic, which is why I think we just breeze through it and don't realize the power that is in this passage. When I was in, in 11th grade, I, I used to get my skates sharpened in a specific way. And in hockey, you have an outside edge and an inside edge. And there's like a little C that you get your skates sharpened in. And I remember that I would get my skates sharpened super, super sharp to where I had this really deep C. So I had a very strong outside edge and a very strong inside edge on both of my skates. And after I was talking with my physics teacher, he recommended to me that I should hollow out that C so that I'm, I, I don't have as much friction of digging into the ice when I'm not moving my legs. So I can stop skating and keep coasting at a good speed because I'm not losing as much speed now. He said it might take an adjustment of learning how to turn on less of an edge, but I should try it because he thinks it would help me. And so I went and I did, and I got it as dull as I possibly could, and I learned to skate on it because of physics. My physics grade was failing at the time. I thought physics was just textbooks. I was like, I don't understand how this, uh, how does this help me in the here and now? Right? This is just a bunch of, a bunch of formulas, a bunch of, but, but there it was, all of a sudden, immediate, I can see the difference in practice, because I'm skating, and I'm stopping my legs, and I'm just still going faster than everyone else. And then he took a step further, and he walked me through how to increase the miles per hour on my shot by not like five miles per hour, but by like 15 miles per hour, by changing the amount of, uh, amount of flex that I could get my stick to have based off of where I stood. I mean, it was broken down. I was staying after class in physics. My grade skyrocketed because I was like, man, this is super applicable to everything that I'm trying to accomplish. Physics, those formulas in my life that's gonna help me, man, it's the same with the Passover. It's the same with the Passover. The Passover, when we take it and we, apply, we find how it applies to our lives, it's going to help us all be on fire because of God's goodness. So, how do we receive Jesus personally? Have you ever been invited over to somebody's house and it's the first time that you're invited over to their house and they've prepared a meal for you? How difficult is it to eat? I mean, it's uh, all you do, depending on the dish, is you somehow, through a, a tool or through a dish, take the food, bring it up into your mouth, and then you chew it. That's it. It's that easy. It's that simple. How were they to receive the Passover? They were to eat it. It was not to be this, this over, very complicated, very difficult way of eating it. They weren't supposed to, you know, stand in this specific posture and then hold it above them and then try to catch it in their mouth. Or it wasn't like when you go to like a fair and you have like those, those sticks and there's those donuts tied on the strings and some of them are a little bit tall and so you're like standing on your tiptoes to try to eat them. It's not that complicated. It's a meal. Who here ate breakfast this morning? See, I have to put my hand down because I'm not a breakfast guy. How easy was it to eat breakfast? I mean, it's as simple as can be. We actually, we, we sometimes just forget that at, at some point we had to learn how to eat. Because it's so easy. And yet, 
how were they to receive the Passover? They were to just eat it. Look at what John says about receiving Christ. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. How do you receive Christ? You just, you, you take what he has done and you bring it to yourself. I mean, how do you receive a gift? You extend your arms. That's it. You take hold of it. That's it. There's no, oh, you have to, you have to, you know, know how to do this and then know how to do this. I mean, it's very self-explanatory. Somebody hands something to you. In fact, I, I spent a summer canvassing. Canvassing is where you go knock on doors. And as an introvert, it's terrifying. You just never want to do it because everyone you run into is angry that you're there. And so they greet, you, they greet you at the door and their face just says, go away. And sometimes you're knocking on a door and people yell at you before even opening the door to go away. And I, I remember having to canvas and they taught us that you put the book that you're trying to sell in the bread basket, which is right here. And that when you place it right there, people will just grab it, not even realizing that they're grabbing it. And now all of a sudden it's in their hands. I mean, it's just, it's so intuitive that if you place something right here, like real close, they're just going to kind of take it. And then all of a sudden, you'll see it where they'll, they'll just look and be like, wait, how did I get this in my hands? Because to receive something is not actually that complicated. We sometimes put all of these hoops that individuals have to jump through to receive Christ. No, they just have to receive Christ. But that's not the, the end of the Passover. But see, this, it, it, uh, Paul goes on and he says, by grace you have been saved. Not by your Bible reading, not by your Sabbath keeping, not by your tithing, not by your being a good neighbor. No, by grace. Completely because of God. Because God rescued you from sin. Because God saved you from sin. Because br God brought you out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. By grace. But then what is it through? It's through faith. Just as you receive the present through your arms, and you receive food through your mouth, we are to receive God's saving grace through our faith. That is how we receive Christ personally. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, picking up on this theme, he says, faith is the mouth by which he is to be received. Faith is the mouth by which he is to be received. This is why Jesus says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So we receive Christ personally. How? By just, by just saying amen to it. In fact, there's this story in the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories. It's, it's Abraham, chapter 15. Abraham, we were talking about this on Friday night with Phil and, and uh, Nelson. So Abraham, he's just done this amazing thing, right? And it's just, oh, it's so, it's so cool. Because he took the, the trained men of his house, and he went and rescued his nephew, Lot. And after defeating this, this, this vast army with the trained men of his house, the, the, the other kings that were fleeing that vast army come out and they say, oh, thank you so much. Let us, let us help you. Let us give you all of these things. And Abraham's like, no, 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 no. I don't, want, I don't want that because I don't want you to be able to say, you're the reason that I am blessed. I want it to simply be because of God. I mean, how punk rock is that? He turned down a bunch of gifts from kings. Man, that's just awesome to me. And yet, Abraham is not living this perfect, pristine life. He's incredibly upset with God because God hasn't given him a son. In fact, God has told him, I will give you a son. And yet that promise has not happened yet. And so Abraham is saying, God, when are you going to give me a son? And God pulls Abraham aside and makes him look at the stars and says, so as the stars are, so shall your descendants be. And our Bibles say that Abraham believed God. 
You want to know what it actually says in the Hebrew? Abraham just said, Amen. He didn't, he didn't it, it wasn't this, this, oh, okay, yeah, I sat down and um, I had a Bible study and I know all of these fundamental beliefs now and I know exactly what you're going to be doing at this time next year and I know what happens when, when somebody passes away and I know, you know, uh, he, Abraham didn't have the whole plan and yet God said, here's the promise and Abraham just said, amen. He just said, amen to it. That is how you receive Christ personally. Because Christ has already done the work. But your job is to receive it the same way that we receive food, with the same ease. In fact, Ellen White continues on and she says, It was not enough that the, that the Passover lamb uh, was slain. Its blood must be sprinkled on the doorposts. So the merits of Christ's blood must be applied to the soul. We must believe not only that he died for the world but that he died for us individually. We must appropriate to ourselves the virtue of the atoning sacrifice. She says we must receive it. Don't leave it on the shelf. Don't, don't leave his goodness in the corner. Receive all of it. But notice, the Passover continues because the Passover shows us how to receive Christ wholly. Not partially. No, in his fullness. Numbers chapter 9, verse 11. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall observe the Passover. They shall eat it. They shall receive Christ symbolically, personally, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. But then verse 12, they shall leave none of it until the morning. They're not to, they're not to leave some of it for another time. No, they're to take all of him in. Now, sometimes as Christians... We like to gravitate towards certain parts of the Bible, and we like to stay away from certain parts of the Bible because those certain parts might challenge us. Or we might like to think that we have an understanding of what that passage says, but we don't want to ever go back and revisit it because we're afraid that if we go back and revisit it, it might not be as good as we originally thought. In fact, I've had, I've had Bible studies with individuals where they ask me, Luke, why are there so many denominations? And my, my response is with a question. How many Jesuses are there? Because depending upon which church you go to, even within denominations, you would think that there were many different Jesuses. You would think that there was a Jesus for this, and then a Jesus for this, and then a Jesus for this, and then a Jesus for this, or that he looked this way, or looked this way, or looked this way, when really there was one historical Jesus, he was a Middle Eastern man, and he is the individual who changed the world. There's one Jesus. And so how do we receive all of him? Colossians says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How do you know that you're receiving all of Jesus? Will you spend time with him? Well, how would you spend time with him? Because we can't really spend, I can't hang out with him the same way that I hang out with my wife. Well, I can, I can spend time with him in this. In all of this. Not some of it. Not the New Testament and leave the passages of the Old Testament. Because really the Old Testament, in fact, one of, one of my favorite preachers said he, he absolutely cannot stand the phrase the Old Testament. He says it should be called the New Testament and then the Newer Testament. Because old makes it seem outdated, makes it seem archaic, makes it seem boring and dull. And, no, 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 no. The Old Testament is, oh man, the Old Testament is amazing. Because that was Jesus' Bible. And so... 
How do we let the word of Christ richly dwell within us? How do we receive all of him? Well, I'm not sentimental by any means. Not so at all. I don't know if you're, any of you are sentimental. Um, I've been in some homes where, where you know, they, the people are, are very sentimental, and then I've been in some homes where there's, there's no sentimentality at all. I, I tend to be like, yes, I don't, I don't really want to hold on to anything. I have a very small box, and it is the only thing that I am sentimental with. And it is a bunch of handwritten notes from my wife from when we were dating. I have, I have given up so many things. I have thrown them away. I, I threw away a rookie hockey card that now I wish I hadn't because it's worth a lot of money. But because of my lack of being sentimental, I just said, well, this is, this, I don't care about this, and threw it in the trash. And yet, you could not pay me enough money to give this box up of all of these handwritten notes. In fact, Chris is gone. And last night, I found myself opening up the box and reading through the notes because I missed her. But I don't want just the, the, some parts of Carissa, right? I want the fullness of that relationship. Why? Because she is that great in my eyes. Period. So how do we receive Christ holy? Well, we let his word richly dwell within us. In fact, Jesus says this, and this is, oh man, I remember when I, when I heard this for the first time in the process of becoming a Christian, and I thought Jesus went crazy. Because he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. I thought, man, Jesus is wilding out right now. Like, what do you mean? I ain't, I ain't doing that. I'm not, I'm not a cannibal. Well, certainly that's not what Jesus is actually saying. Because he goes on and he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And we know that he can't be talking literally about eating him because we've never seen him. So that means none of us would be able to be saved. But by letting the Bible tell us what, it, what Jesus is actually saying, John 3.16, For whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's by receiving him personally and receiving him wholly, all of him, the aspects that are going to make us say, as, as, uh, as Elder Grover says, ouch, when it actually tells us that that behavior or that attitude is not in line with the kingdom of heaven. It's letting that happen and saying, God, because of your goodness, I know that you meant to say that to me personally because you want me to be a better person. But Paul continues on. Uh, he says this, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. So how do, we, how do we receive him wholly? Well, we let him actually live our life. We don't shy away from, from, uh, from difficult passages. We don't shy away from, from the conflict when Jesus is helping us change our hearts more completely. But then, it doesn't just end there in receiving him in his wholeness, but it talks about receiving him corporately. And this is something that, that I think has been largely missed in our over-individualistic age. See, notice the issue. The issue of the whole passage. Verse 6. Numbers 9, verse 6. But there were some men who were unclean 
because of an Indian could not observe the Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. The issue is not being able to participate with what other individuals were doing. Sometimes we think as a Christian it's just personal. We're just, we're going to receive Christ personally. And so you have this, this rise of this particular phrase where we say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And really what they're saying is, is I'm going to have my own Jesus, and I'm not going to go and spend time with a community of faith. Because the community of faith might point out the flaws in my personal Jesus. That was never the intention. I mean, when God created us, he said it's not good for man to be alone. We are built to be in community. And so we're not just to receive Christ personally, although we see that God values our individuality. Name by name, the census was taken. We're not to just receive all of Jesus, all of his saving grace, not some of it, but all of it. But we're not even to do it by ourselves. There is a component of receiving Christ that is in a togetherness. And so they came up to Moses and Aaron and they say, hey, we've, we've had this issue, we've had this circumstance where they're, 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 an individual has passed away and it's made us unclean. How can we participate? And Moses goes to the Lord and the Lord says this. And then the Lord actually expands because that's how inclusive God is. In verse 10, speak to the sons of Israel saying, if any one of you or of your generations becomes unclean because somebody passes away because of a dead person or is on a distant journey. He may, however, observe the Passover uh, to the Lord the, just the next month, on the same day, in the same way. There's only one way to receive Christ. Only one way. There's not many ways. Only one way. There's only one Christ. And yet, God made a way for people who had fallen into being unclean to have an opportunity later on. When you stumble... When you feel like you've gone away from God for a period of time, or you have a friend or a family member or a coworker that once was really in the faith and then stumbled and went and became unclean, there is still a Passover. They have to acknowledge that they've become unclean, but God will let them come back because that's how good God is. That's his inclusivity. And so here is God, and he's saying, hey, yes, this issue has happened, but we're actually going to allow it just we're gonna, a month down the road. In fact, we're going to enlarge the parameters. So not only have you just become unclean, but if you've been busy and you've been journeying, we still want you to participate. And then he goes through the same process. It's the same Passover, the same way that it's cooked, the same way that it's killed, the same time at twilight. It's the same way, because you can only receive Christ one way. And it's by grace, through faith. But then in verse 13 it says, But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that, per that person shall then be cut off from his people, for he did not present the offering to the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. So if you don't want to, God says, okay. You don't have to. But, but then you've got, you got to go and you've got to actually uh, follow through with what you're really asking, which is you want to be by yourself. You don't want to be in a community. You want to do it your own. You want to do your own thing. You don't want to submit. You don't want to let me lead. You want to do it yourself. 
And so I'll give you what you're actually asking for. I'll see through your, your uh, rebelliousness. I'll see through your, your uh, you know, a perceived neglect of care. And I'll give you what you actually are wanting, which is you don't want to be here. God is not coercive and he's not forceful. He says, if you don't want to be in heaven, if you don't want to have a relationship with me, it breaks his heart, but he's not going to force that. Because even in him letting us have freedom, he shows his goodness. He does not force himself. But then, he says this, or uh, Numbers 9 says this amazing thing. Verse 14. If an alien or a foreigner is sojourning or dwelling among you and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its ordinance, so he shall do. You shall have one statute. So there's one way, both for the alien or the foreigner and for the native of the land. So if there are those who aren't Jewish, if there are those who aren't of Israel, they can participate too. That's the beauty of the church, spiritual Israel, is that you do not have to be the exact same way as the person next to you. You don't have to look the same way. You don't even have to come from the same cultural background to be a part of the church. And what is the main unifier of the sojourner, the foreigner, and the native? It's the lamb. It's the meal. It's the feast. Just like, what is the, what is the, the, the bond or the unifier here? It is Christ. We come from many different backgrounds. We have different cultural upbringings. And yet in this church, we have one Christ. And he's what allows us to worship one another. This is why Paul, knowing the importance of receiving Christ, not only personally and wholly, but corporately, says this as he writes to, uh, to churches in cities that are enduring persecution. He says this, not forsaking your own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, don't forsake it. Don't stop participating as a family of faith. Even in harsh persecutions, even in difficult times, because the Passover is not meant to be a single individual thing, you're to celebrate it with others because God has created us for community. Jesus actually says this to his disciples. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you welcome that sojourner in to participate in the Passover lamb, in the Passover, if you, if you welcome them in, don't exclude them because they look different. Don't exclude them because they talk different. Don't exclude them for any reason if they want to participate in the feast, if they want to receive the nutrients of the Lamb. By doing that, Paul says that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. By, by allowing people, by, by this ragtag bunch of, of individuals that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from many different places coming together, we show the wisdom of God. We show the power of God. The Mercury 7 uh, astronauts, they went through this intense preparation process and test pilots. I mean, the, the list was very long. They thought about getting rock climbers. 
They thought about getting deep-sea divers. They thought about getting submarine uh, you know, soldiers or captains. And then they finally realized that probably the best thing was to go with test pilots. Because test pilots were known to push the boundaries. In fact, they, the, the notion was if you were a test pilot, your life expectancy was very short. Because you were probably going to push the limits a little bit too far. And you were going to end up uh, pushing the machine that you were flying to the point where it would break. And so test pilots would die because they were pushing the limits of what the machine, of what the technology could offer. And so NASA said, well, these are the people that we want because we need people crazy enough to try to go into space. And we need them to be, to be dialed in enough to where we can poke and prod them and ask all of these questions and they will still be fixated on what is the end goal, which is getting to space. And in that preparation process, they, they singled the list down to these seven. And Alan Shepard became the first astronaut. He was the most maverick-like personality of the seven. And that was because the only thing that he wanted to do was fly. That was it. So it didn't matter through the psych evaluation. It didn't matter through the family life evaluation because his family life was not great. It didn't matter that, that he had, you know, alcoholic issues or, or bad habits. It didn't matter that he was poked and prodded. It didn't matter that he had to go through this, this terrible, in his words, preparation process to be able to get the opportunity to go to space because his main focus was getting to space. And Israel is at Mount Sinai, and they're, they're there, and they've been there for some time. And God says, before you leave, celebrate the Passover which is a reminder that you did not bring yourself up out of slavery. That it was me and me alone. And you're going to need that as the single thing in your mind. Because you're about to go to a land where you're going to see giants. You're going to see obstacles. You're going to see mountains. You're going you're gonna to lose your job. You're going to get sick. You're going to have family members fall on hard times. You're going to have racial tension. You're going to have church division. You're going to have political battles. You're going to have rumors of wars. Wars here, wars there, wars here, wars there. You're going to have all of these issues. And if you lose sight of the whole reason, you won't make it through the process. And so the question for us, because we've been ending every sermon with a question, is have you received Christ personally? It's really quite simple. You just, you just extend your arms. It's not saying a prayer. That's, the Bible says nothing about saying a prayer. It's saying amen to God's goodness and, and relying on that. Just like you, your arms just naturally extend to receive the gift. It's saying, God, I know you did it. And so I just say amen to it. And I'm going to live every moment of my life that that's true. It's taking God at his word. Have you received him thoroughly? Has your Christian experience been one where you've been living off the faith of others? Where you have, to, you, you have to come to church because you feel like your faith will fail? Where you have to go to YouTube because you feel like your day is bad or you feel distant from God and so you search up a, a sermon or something? Or have you received Christ wholly or thoroughly to where he is the substance of your faith? And then are you willing to receive him corporately? Meaning that there might be a brother or a sister that pokes and prods you, but they are your brother and your sister. And so the, that does not mean that you go out and down the street before you try to reconcile. Because when they didn't want to participate in the Passover, what did God say? He said, okay, I'll let them have what they ultimately are asking. They want to do it themselves. Because we're not just supposed to receive Christ personally. We're not supposed to just receive Christ thoroughly, holistically, 
but we're also to receive him in community, corporately. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for, for the Passover. Lord, it's, it's weird to us. It's kind of, just to be honest with you, Lord, it's kind of weird because we don't own lambs and we don't go through this. Every first month of, of every year on the 14th day at twilight, we don't, we don't go through this because Christ, who is our Passover lamb, has already come. And yet, Lord, for Israel, this was, this was uh, just this is this was it. It was the celebration because of what you did to the Israelites, bringing them up out of slavery. Lord, you didn't bring us just from physical slavery, but you brought us from the most severe and tenacious slavery that ever has existed, and that is the slavery of sin. And so, Lord, we we receive open open arms. Your grace. We lay hold of it through our faith. And Father, I want to pray for, for anyone here or anyone who's been tuning in online, whether that was th today was their first time or, or you know, they're a long-time viewer. Lord, if there's anyone in our sphere, in our church, that hasn't received you personally, Lord, help them to see that it is really as simple as eating food. It's just allowing you to step into their life. For you say that you stand at the door and knock. We just have to open the door. But then, Lord, we also thank you that it's not just this initial conversion experience of receiving you, but that we receive you wholly. We receive all of you, every ounce. And as Peter writes, that that means the divine nature is granted to us through your precious promises of your love to us. But Lord, let us not just stop there to where it's just individual, but let us come as a church together to be the church that you call us to be so that we can enter into the eternal promised land side by side singing songs of deliverance. A church made up of many different nationalities, many different backgrounds, many different perspectives, many different ideologies all knit together with one, with one thing, and that is you and your goodness. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Sabbath, and we thank you for the book of Numbers. In Jesus' name, let us all say, amen.